This podcast is brought to you by Rode Microphones, providing premium audio products at an accessible price, enabling people from around the world to achieve their creative goals. With mics for studio, video recording, and podcasting, you're bound to find the mic you need. To find out more, visit Rode.com. When did you first find out about working on Power Rangers, and you know when did you connect with uh, Dean Israelite, the uh, director? I caught up with Dean um, basically when they brought their sh- they shot in in Vancouver, and really when they brought their uh, editorial team back uh, to, to LA here is pretty much when I started on it. So this would have been, I think, gosh, I think it would have been May of May of last year. Um, and really, I was I was in the cutting room with the editors and and Dodie Dorn and Martin uh, Barenfield were the editors, and the, you know I think between the two of them and Dean there were always, you know, they're great at just ideas and they're great at just um, trying to suss out scenes and they, they really understand the importance of sound. So, you know, a lot of times I'd, I'd spend my time dressing a scene up for them or working on kind of conceptual um, ideas. So I think from, from like, I guess out of the box, I guess that was the thing. It was always, there was always part of my tasks that were kind of the, the normal everyday, Hey, can I, Hey, I need a sound for this. You know, I need a sound of a train or I need a, yeah. I need that distal, wistful, train whistle in the back, you know. Right. But then also, Dean was sure about, you know, hey, well, look, we also need to kind of, we always need to do R and D. We need to do R and D for the sound of the ship. You know, is it organic? Is it is it tonal? Uh, does it have a drone? Does it is it lower end? Is it kind of higher pitched? Mm-hmm. And then he also, um, you know, also also wanted me to R and D some of the sounds of the tones and the mm-hmm. and what are the sounds of the actual kind of like what is the sound that kind of gives you that sense that these coins are like ancient and have some like untapped, um, ancient energy, you know, kind of was like the idea of it all. So, and then, for, so from that, it just, it just kind of expanded, you know? I, I mean, how much understanding or research did, did, um, Dean and you want to do in terms of being truthful to even the, you know, the TV series or just the world of Power Rangers? <laughs> well, you know what's funny is that some of the early stuff I did was a little more kind of synth uh-huh. oriented because if you do listen to back to some of those some of the some of the series I mean it's um to some extent or I, I think to a large extent um it's it's a it's the very much a different style of what this film is so I think it was to to that extent I think we kind of you know we weren't really so much focused on how the old rangers sounded in as much as how do we kind of redefine them? Like how much of the production sound were you guys able to utilize throughout the film? It seems like you're saying there's a lot of green screen, a lot of action sequences. So what was it like working with production tracks? Um, You know, the production track was uh, obviously the first, the first few reels. It's kind of always, it's like the breakfast club and then it's the Marvel movie, right? So it's kind of the breakfast club portion of it all was the, um, you know, I'd say it was very general production sound. You know, I think I think you know we we went in for loops only when needed. You know, usually I think story story wise loops. You know, I think my my kind of rule of thumb when I'm going through a movie is it's it's I think I'm I'm and I think Dean is particularly in this camp as well. You know, look if you understand if you understand the line and and if you you know if there's emotion to the character and there's nuance to the performance, we'd rather keep that than swap a line out just for technical reasons, you know, because, oh, there's, you know, there's background noise here or whatnot, or it's, oh, it's a little wonky because it was recorded poorly. So we, 
you know, we'd rather spend our time, you know, cleaning it up or with RX or EQing it to, to preserve the actual production sounds. Um, so by and large, a lot of it was, I mean, there was, there was definitely a fair bit of ADR, particularly towards the end of the reels. Um, and obviously, you know, when we get into the, the Bill Hader character of Alpha 5 and then Zordon, you know, there were loops that, that, that linked in story, story components. But, um, you know, a lot of it was production and particularly in the green screen shots, because it was, you know, it was really just, you know, that mic was right there. We were able to use a, quite, a, quite a bit of it. Okay. And what was the approach then for, um, for Zordon Alpha 5? For, because there's a, it's like a kind of glitch or kind of broken up in different styles that you guys were using for those. Where did you land at? Yeah, well, the, the Zordon, the Zordon, we, you know, that was another thing that, you know, I came on early to kind of tackle the, the Zordon lines as well. And the Zordon line was really, um, it was that cool little um, program Slapper okay. um, by Cargo Cult. And so really it consisted of a series of delays um, and a slight chorusing effect. Uh, and that was really it for the, for the Zordon. Okay. Um, you know, we, we wanted to give him, a, you know, we, I think the chorusing helped with just kind of giving him this sense that he's kind of otherworldly, you know, and he's, he's in a different, in a different space. Um, but you know, the studio was adamant. They didn't want kind of the voice of Oz. They didn't want something so large that it took you out of the movie every time he spoke. So we, we kind of wanted to treat him in such a way that, you know, we, once we establish him, you know, really the treatment is not a static treatment. It, it moves depending on the needs of the scene, you know, but once we establish this is what he kind of sounds like, then here and there we could kind of back off the treatment. Um, wherein even in some spots, emotional spots, he's really almost, almost unaffected, you know, the time when basically you get to this, the training period of the Rangers and there's the, the sounds of these kind of like the, what's the name of these kind of like rock formation? Oh yeah. The putties. Yeah. The putties. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that just seems that there's a lot going on in terms of texturally what you guys were doing with those with those guys, I mean, obviously they're made of rock and they kind of have this bulkiness to them. What did you guys do to cover them? Well, the putties were fun. Yeah, the putties, um, the putties were some of the first things that I got called on to build as well. Um, you know, we there. I guess there were two types of putties. There were the training montage putties that were kind of the hologram-ish mm -hmm. type putties that still reacted, and then there were the final putties. Um, but by and large, there were. Um, we went out. Um, um, Elliot Connors and I went out to, um, East LA and found this really kind of somewhat abandoned, uh, I don't know if it was a quarry or it was a, it was just this big rock pit. So we went out there for an afternoon and just recorded a ton of different types of rocks, rock throws, rock lands, boulder crunches, and just basically built a library of that. And then we were able to modulate these rocks and kind of give it like this stuttery type delay so that it kind of gave it this little sense of uh, the putties actually kind of digitally glitching, you know, mm -hmm. it kind of gave it this little, you know, every time they kind of moved. So we worked on that. So that's one component. And then also um, we were able to get a, uh, a really talented voice actor um, named uh, Fred Tadashore. And um, he, he, um, we had him in group for a day and he just gave us some amazing putty vocals and vocalization. I mean, he's really a, a master at, at just his, his dynamic range is unbelievable. 
um, and the and the type of content he could make with his voice was was really really cool. So we we use that quite a bit for vocals. Um, there's times where my vocals in there. There's times where Elliot's vocals are in there, pitched and you know I think we used uh, Nectar, the RX, you know the that RX Isotope Suite. Um, Nectar was our friend quite a bit in just giving those uh, putty vocals a nice kind of rich, you know, deep fullness. And you could also kind of change the timbre of them to make them sound uh, real, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was fun to see um, kind of just the reveal of their, what do they call them, the, the animals, their vehicles? What, what, what are the names? Oh, the Zords. The Zords, okay. So I guess, you know, I, I remember watching it, you know, watching the TV show, and I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot they had these kind of Transformer aspects of characters, and they reveal it in a way that's kind of like, well, he, if, once, you, once you achieve the the powers of the power rangers you'll have access to these vehicles so what what did you guys how did you want to represent them mechanically because they are it's like a metal type of it looks like like a strong metal type of yeah you know it was it was interesting um and that was the thing you know dean was real adamant he didn't want them to be big uh servo machines you know yeah um, he didn't want them to be just, you know, uh, clunky, um, metally servos that were, that were electronic. So, you know, in there, they're, they actually are actually kind of tonal, mm -hmm. um, in nature. Um, so they're kind of more, it's, it's kind of built more in a, in a fluid way using vocals and, um, Elliot who helped me sound design this movie did a great job. Elliot Connors, mm -hmm. um, in building some of the vocalizations, for the Zords, um, you know, he would use different, uh, you know, for depending on what type of Zord it was, he might use, you know, bird elements in the bird. He would use, you know, elephant, uh, elephant, uh, type roars and mm -hmm. monkey roars for some of the other, um, you know, like for the, for the, I guess it would be the triceratops. Mm -hmm. Um, and he would also put his own voice in there a lot of times to kind of give it this sense that, it's something other than just a mechanical uh, robot, mm -hmm. you know? Mm. So in the end, in the end day, what we did find though, in the final mix, we did just, we did need to sweeten um, the Zords with some servos and some engine type um, Doppler buys to give it, uh, to give them a little bit more movement. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, so I think we started off trying to stay away from some of the mechanical components and leaving them more, you know, organic base. And I think in, in practice though, I think we ended up kind of, you know, having to, having to put a little bit of the servos just because I think the image, I think the image required it. The thing I was noticing too, is just your use of surrounds, not only for dialogue, but for effects. I found that there was a lot more movement, um, throughout just of call outs. I mean, obviously it's, it's playing off of what's going on, you know, the action that's on screen, was there a conscious decision of how to use the surrounds? Yeah, you, well, you know, a lot of that, a lot of what you heard is going to be, you know, a fold down from the Atmos. The Atmos was a really, um, the Atmos really was a, is a, uh, you know, Tony Lamberti did a great job on the effects, and he, um, he really gave us kind of a, he really put us in in the film, you know. So the the style of it all was, you know, I think once once the movie starts to kind of creep up on you. Um, at some point you make a switch where you're almost engaged. You're almost, you're almost in the film at that point. You know, I feel like to some extent, the first few reels, you're, you're along with the characters. Um, 
but at some point, once you start getting into the ship, um, I think we did kind of make a, a choice to kind of <clears throat> immerse the audience uh, in surrounds and really, you know, pay attention to what's going on in in, in the Atmos track. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in that, in that sense, it was really um, it was really an immersive experience. And yeah, I thought it was fun. <laughs> How did you find um, working with uh, composer Brian Tyler? He he's had a you know a long history of working on these you know very high octane action films, and I think this film you know there's scenes that it definitely benefited from. What was what was the collaboration like with Brian? Did you guys have much interaction? Uh, we didn't have a ton of interaction. I think um, um, you know his stuff pretty much showed up on the final stage. Mm-hmm. So I think to that extent, it was um, you know he delivers very nice, full, rich tracks with lots of context and subtext. And mm-hmm. um, to that extent, you know it was it was um, you know we just had to be cautious about how we played our sound effects because, mm-hmm. you know, there were cues that we were hearing for the first time that, you know, suddenly introduced a different emotion into a character that may not have been there in the temp mix. So yeah, we just wanted to make sure that we did our due diligence and, you know, preserving bits of the music that were really cool. And, you know, so to that extent it was, it was, you know, I, I think maybe it was just the time crunch. Um, I think once we got down to picture lock, um, you know, we didn't have a ton of time to sit with the music ahead of time. Okay. But, um, you know, so in that sense, it really was kind of, it was, it was delivered to the final stage. Right. Um, but overall, his stuff is just ton, a ton of energy, a ton of, uh, of driving themes that I thought really helped, helped the story. I think there were some, some nice opportunities that you guys had also with one of the call outs, which is so obvious is when like the go-go power Rangers theme comes on. <laughs> yeah. What was the what was the decision about that? What's the story behind that? Well, it was debated quite a bit whether or not it should be in or out, you know? Um and uh you know, I think I think the filmmakers they struggled with that a little bit okay. up until the end and then I think it was finally this realization that you know what? There's just such a little there's such a shot of energy when it kicks in uh-huh. that it it's you know, it's kind of one of those things. I think I think um I think some of the filmmakers were against it at first, mm. but then once they saw how audiences reacted and once they saw just wh- how it elevated just the, that moment mm-hmm. uh, with, with, with a little shot of nostalgia, I think that's what kind of sold them. And that's why we left it in. I know Brian did, he did present a cue that was, I know he had written the cue that was a new rendition of the power Rangers, mm-hmm. but I think um, they ended up just keeping the original song because it just, like I said, just gave the it gave the film just this adrenaline boost, you know. Yeah. Well, what were some of the opportunities of uh, working with the Foley team? What 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 type of specifics were they really able to help out with? Well, in this one, what was cool was I had um, I had a couple couple crews at my disposal. I had um, I had Gary Hecker over at Sony, and he really did an amazing job. I mean, he's a great just uh, cool creature designer, and he was able to do some awesome. Uh, footsteps in the ship and really gave life to and and heft to some of the feet there and then he also helped out with some of the zords and some of the metal okay um and then and he also um he also helped out with just kind of like the fluid movements of the alpha five character mm. and helped bring that to life yeah what were some of the record trips that you guys did to go out and, and record specifics when what was the combination of new sounds versus uh library 
Yeah, you know, on this one, um, I recorded, uh, you know, some of the earlier stuff. Like I said, we were tasked with doing some, getting some rocks. And actually, there's quite a bit of rocks in the film. You know, you have all the putties at the end, and you also have them jumping around the rocks. And so we went out and we did a rock series um, just to get some good, um, a good kind of library going there. And then also we did some, um, we did some underwater recording as well. Mm-hmm. And um in my, my, my sister-in-law's pool. <laughs> so that was, oh, nice. that was a fun little, uh, that was a fun little day, uh, you know, getting wet and, um, our, our, uh, Formosa's recordist, uh, Charlie Campagna, who's, who's awesome. He just has such a wealth of knowledge and recording knowledge and mm-hmm. such a, you know, cool mic collection. We went out and we got the, um, the hydrophones. Oh, nice. And we did some cool water recording, you know, with just, compressed air and um and one thing we found that was actually kind of cool it was for the bubbles when they reach that zone that's kind of this intermediary zone of gravity right they kind of they they dive down and then yet they're kind of hanging from the top Mm -hmm. and what i found was for whatever reason the air that's in those canisters of dust off that you might use to clean electronic components Mm -hmm. has has some type of i don't know if it's i don't know if it's nitrogen that's in there or whatnot Mm. But it has a different um, resonance than normal air that you would blow from from a human. Mm-hmm. So it had this really interesting kind of almost metallic tinkly sound. So we, we recorded that a bunch, and actually that's that's the bubbles that you hear underwater there, because they, they just ha- they have this sense that it's not it's you know they're they're slightly askewed. There's slightly something slightly different. It's not a natural kind of bubble sound. So we use that actually for the underwater scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here and there, I, I, we recorded some springs for the Zordon character. Um, we constructed some little bits of rods to record for source. Um, and then, um, and as far as recording, yeah, that was, that was kind of it for the recording. Okay. Um, you know, other than that, it was live, it was library material of things that we had recorded in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, you know, some of these, some of these BGs and tones I was able to use from an old Japanese library that I had recorded. Uh, how did you um, handle Goldar, this big golden monster? Well, Goldar was cool. Elliot had had a lot of, um, he did a whole series of like goop and uh, watery takes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he had a big library that he had recorded. And so uh, he was able to utilize a combination of kind of watery, muddy goop. Um, and then I would give him some tracks that were kind of more metallic tonal. Mm-hmm. And then we also used actually, um, we actually used a lot of, uh, <laughs> um, just our own voices. Okay. Just basically, you know, taking the mic, getting close to the mic and literally just doing the old hand and cheek, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Using, using your, using your vocals as like a synthesizer, so to speak, to get some of the the dynamic sounds of when he's moving. Hmm. Um, and then the voice, the, the Goldar voice was a combination of Elliot and a combination of Fred Tatashore mm-hmm. uh, that was processed. Uh, Fred came in at the last minute and really gave us, he gave us some of the Goldar movements. So basically, anybody, you know, we had, we had had some of the big roars and some of the story uh, components covered. But Fred came in and really vocalized some of Goldar's movement, which really brought him to life. So really, every time he's moving, to some extent, a texture of him is actually the vocals, hmm. you know. 
which is really cool because it just it just added it just added that layer of 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 life to the character itself. But yeah, so that was that's what was cool. It was also um, it was, so I I did a big leather series um, on conjuring for the rope and um, was able to utilize that in a lot of the gold as well. So the gold is actually it's a cross between mud goop and actually leather creaking sounds to give you that almost kind of rubbery sound that it's it's flowing mm. it was cool to see just the variation because from the original tv show he's more of like this creature lion is and in the movie he's a full-on golden figure oh yeah totally different <laughs> yeah a little different i i think it the choice that they made was it was a good one just because i think there's only so much that you can do to make it not look cheesy i guess because in the tv show it's it's like a guy in a costume it's it's pretty basic <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think that was a larger discussion of the filmmakers. You know, yeah, I, I think I think everybody has so, so much nostalgia over the first, yeah, the first, uh, you know, these first Ranger uh, series. But when you go back and watch them today, you know, it, it's the, the 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 fun component holds up. But still, you realize when you were watching these things, you're eight years old. So right. I mean, to, to that extent, you're going to have slightly different tastes now. Yeah. And how did you guys handle the, the final battle between like one of the Power Rangers? What, what is the name of when they all morph together and make this big robot? So that was the Megazord. The Megazord, right. Okay. So it's like there's like this very like, well, there's a moment where everyone is trying to figure out how to operate. Like they realize, oh, we all operate a different part of the figure, part of this character. So how did you guys represent that once they're all in the Megazord? Um, well, for that one, the Megazord, a lot of the, a lot of the movements were turbine movements. Mm -hmm. Um, and Elliot, again, he's great at just kind of taking different types of sounds and, and kind of picking just the right sounds to, to play at at the right time. Mm -hmm. So he and Tony worked really hard and and just getting everything kind of to fit, to have a, a place to fit because the reality of those scenes is the way the story was constructed. It was you know, I feel like there was, there was, um, you know, the characters, you're always following the characters. So it's almost like you're there with the POV through the characters. So there's, there was quite a bit of dialogue to Bob and weave around. So we always kind of had to build these Zords in such a way that, you know, you couldn't just play the entire, their entire sounds the entire time. Mm. You had to get just those little bits of the servo or little bits of the engine that would kind of poke through um, so to that extent, uh, you know, I know that the big, the big final arm swing there is, I know it's one of the, I think it might be a P 51 mm. that was in one of the Las Vegas races. Okay. Uh, it's a, it's, it's just a P 51 buy, but, uh, you know, we have it in there and I thought it was, thought it played so well. And it was funny. Our post soup said, I know what sound that is. And it's, and I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Were there any, any other specifics that you wanted to, uh, talk about? component too was coming up with the voice for um the alpha five character mm-hmm. you know originally on they wanted um he was going to have far fewer servos than what he ended up with but i think at the end of the day we realized that he needed to have that somewhat robotic feel mm-hmm. and they wanted a little levity to it so so we just you know we, we built him in such a way that you know um he didn't come across as too robotic but he still has that almost natural organic feel um, you know, Bill Hader came in and we treated his voice with a combination of chorusing, um, with a combination of, um, um, what is it? It was the, um, 
it was a slight, I'm trying to remember which plugin it was, but it basically, it basically modulated his voice ever so slightly. Um, and then we added, um, you know, then Fishman did a really, Mark Fishman, our dialogue mixer, did a really nice job of just kind of giving him reverb and placing him into the scene. But he also has these, what they call emotive, what do we call them? We call them emo emotes. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so basically, you know, um, they didn't, Dean didn't want it quite the exact style of, um, you know, like a Pixar Wally type voice. Right. But he did want it to have some sense that the voice was a robot, you know? So I had a, I have a Kima and I loaded up um, a bunch of Bill Hader's lines and basically I would do riffs. I would do riffs with um, his phrases. So here and there, if you notice in the movie, every now and then his voice will become kind of skewed and it's not quite a Wally treatment, but what it does is it just kind of gives you this little sense that, oh, okay, this guy is a robot. Um, he doesn't just speak in a normal voice. You know, his ins and the ins and outs of his phrases kind of have been modulated in and out. So I always thought that was a fun, it was a, it's a very subtle, subtle effect, but I think it's a, um, it sells the idea that he's, um, he's a robot while still keeping the fact that he is almost like a sentient organic being. Were there any other things that you wanted to include? Yeah, well, it's obviously a big hand, hand, uh, round of applause for the, for the team over here at Formosa. They did a great job. Um, Pernell Salinas, Ryan Meadows were the assistants on the show. Um, Elliot Connors was a sound designer. Um, you know, Mark Fishman, Tony Lamberti did a great job at the mix. Um, Dan Irwin and Kira Rossler were the ADR and dialogue supervisors, and they really handled, uh, you know, like I said, there were, you know, there's quite a bit of production, and Dan did a really great job of cleaning that, cleaning those tracks up. Um, and it was a great, it was a great overall team effort, and it was really a, really a fun project to work on. Well, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about Power Rangers. I'm excited to see how this. I, I, I'll be curious if, when, uh, if and when there's a sequel, but I feel there's a lot of stories that could still be pulled out of this world. Obviously. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think it's setting it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Joe, thanks again. I really appreciate you taking the time, and um, I look forward to hearing more about your next yeah, project. Yeah, you got it, Michael. Thanks again for tuning in to my chat with supervising sound editor Joe Zubin about the sound of Power Rangers. You can hear more conversations with sound designers, composers, and directors on the Soundworks Collection podcast on iTunes and streaming online at soundworkscollection.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Rode Microphones, for sponsoring this podcast series, providing premium audio products at an accessible price enabling people from around the world to achieve their creative goals. With mics for studio, video recording, and podcasting, you're bound to find the mic you need. To find out more, visit Rode.com.